Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Double Feature Podcast. This is actually a special episode, a special worst episode of the Double Feature Podcast because we are rounding out our year by talking about the best of the year and the worst of the year. And this is part two of that special. David, why don't you tell people what they should be in store for? Well, well, just like we did in our last best of yes episode, we're, we have made out lists. You, you okay there, dude? Are you stroking out? I might be, because this list is so bad. Um, we have some stinkers that we've come across through the year of doing this podcast, and I gotta say, some of these, just how the best of really made me enjoy it, uh, almost made me quit. I almost left the show, and Dean would have been the only one left. It was a little rough. Yeah. It was, it was a little rough. Now, to, to prefix this, some of the things on this list are completely our opinion. We can get that out of the way. Yeah, there are certain subjective opinions, more or objectively bad, certainly, but uh, definitely some of these are more to do with our own personal taste. Yes, and on that note, we made the list a little bit ago and we're gonna go through the reasons why everyone's on these lists and then we're gonna go through why one is the worst of the worst why one is the absolute dog shit that you should probably avoid and some of them like the worst films we picked or the worst double feature we picked those ones kind of were our own mistakes because we will get into why what makes a bad double feature actually right now because that's our first category David, what do we have on our worst double feature list? Well, these were certainly the worst episodes. First on the list that we have listed is Urban Legends Final Cut and I Know What You Did Last Summer. The mistake episode that did give us Too Obscure for TV, so we can't credit it for that. It is true. Some good came out of that bad. And did give us an idea for a video essay that is, you know, in purgatory somewhere, soon to find heaven. But ultimately was also one of the cringiest (laughs) yeah it was the pairing of the two worst movies we could have found for for that episode yeah well it's like so what we originally tried to do is lead into october or halloween month with a couple of crappy slashers i guess you could call it Hmm. Or at least at the time, what was kind of our two picks for horror movies to lead in. But then, of course, one of my horror movies became a horror story in real life when I had to order it by snail mail. And then we had to record it in a whole different episode. That's how bad of a situation it got. But yeah, I know what you did last summer. I enjoyed more than Urban Legends. But in the end, both were just horrendous. I liked the heart of Urban Legends Final Cut more, but they're both pretty poorly made movies. But we'll we'll get into more in a second, because we have our next pick, which is a little surprising. 
which is Murder by Death and Knives Out. And Knives Out, if you remember, was one of our picks for Best Picture of the Year. But it was just a really bad pairing. Yeah, you know, well, again, I particularly enjoyed it because Murder by Death is kind of a quirky um, movie to be paired with then this really sophisticated, uh, well-made whodunit uh, set in a mansion. I think this is one of those picks that we ended up coming across where it wasn't really that it was a bad pairing per se or that we hated it. It's just that in the end, it came down to this being one of the four. Kind of. Well, I think the problem with this one is Murder by Death. We paired them together, and this was back in the early days when we were the whole point was finding the better movie. And then Murder by Death was punching way above its weight class, and Knives Out was just kind of like, obviously the better pick it would have probably worked out better because murder by death is a lot closer to clue yeah and knives out yeah and that would still probably make this category as being just a bad double feature because you know they're neither are really good movies but uh certainly still i i think well, clue of, is a great movie but whatever yeah well uh, th- <laughs> this is the razzie team we can't give out any compliments um I guess yeah, I, I this this made the list is how I would put it. Um, yeah. At least, definitely deserves a little bit more credit than our next pick, which is one of our earliest episodes. I believe our second episode. I believe so. Yeah. Fanboys, it and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Yes, this one was very funny. Honestly, if. Too Obscure for TV existed when we did this episode, Fanboys would have been on Too Obscure for TV. Probably would have found a better place, and honestly would have fit amongst some of the picks that we've had on there lately. But, even still, I I do feel like we tried to go for a theme of nerd uh, on this episode that just kind of... Fell real flat. Yeah, they flew past each other. I mean, while Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is about just generally kind of video games, and then fanboys is just generally about star wars um both take on different modes as movies one being a road movie and then the other being like a an advanced an adventure romance film yeah on top of being an adaptation and it's just like uh, the tones were a little different and i'm sure there were our ner- our nerds out there who would enjoy this pairing but uh particularly for me it was kind of like yeah. Look, I'm I'm that kind of nerdy guy, and these movies you watch them together, and they no matter how you pair them up, they just fall flat. Yeah, you watch one, you get a you get a good you get a good fun time. You watch one, you get a good fun time. You watch them together, and it's it's kind of makes the other one worse. Agreeable, agreeable, yeah. but certainly the most surprising well pairing yeah i didn't have high expectations for this episode i will admit right Uh, really because this was kind of like a last minute choice to put it where it was and then on top of that it's these two movies again kind of only share one thing in common generally they don't share too much in common Mm -hmm. in my mind after viewing these um that being space balls and galaxy quest which honestly are two really good movies by themselves. 
enjoyable. But yeah. They're both on two opposite ends of the comedy spectrum. And the amount of things they that work for a double feature don't work for these two movies. Certainly. And and particularly too, I was sitting there watching the Mel Brooks movie kind of only thinking about the fact that well Spaceballs in my mind is a really good movie it's also not like the the Mel Brooks movie I, I would choose as my favorite and then opposite of that Galaxy Quest I'm like oh that was cool to see on TV when I was you know hanging out with friends but sitting alone and watching it I was like I, I'm not really that into Star Trek so <laughs> it was kind of like well this is okay yeah yeah that's just kind of my feeling Spaceballs is a good Mel Brooks movie, don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's in like the top 5 Mel Brooks movies. I think we went over that in the in the podcast. Like Star like Spaceballs is 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 a fine movie, don't get me wrong. And then it's paired up with Galaxy Quest and I think Galaxy Quest is uniquely a good movie to me because I'm a Star Trek fan. Hmm. And also like that was like one of my my dad's favorite movies, so that's like I had a nostalgia feel for it, but then having to look at it critically, it's an okay comedy, but, you know, it kind of doesn't, it doesn't pair well with, like, Spaceballs. It didn't, it doesn't really pair well with anything, right. in all honesty. It's kind of a hard movie to pair in a double feature. Certainly, and this kind of brings us to deliberating on a category, and I think there are two standouts it's true, but before we do that, I think we have to dictate something, because for the best double feature, we gave kind of a reason, like, this is kind of what we're looking for for a good double feature. A movie, they both play well off of each other, they enhance the other one, and makes that big, long block of movie watching just fly by. What makes a bad double feature? Like, in a technical sense. This is a good question, because it's much more non-quantifiable. Generally, I'd have to say that the movies are both bad, first of all. Both of them have to be have to be terrible. Like, but I mean, you can have a like a room and a troll 2 pairing, and that's just a fun because you know what you're getting into. Certainly, but that it's not the the only criteria, right? So I think you have to hit all three or four or five of these in order to get it. So the movies have to be bad. I think generally the stories of each movies have to actually be bad. Not just like the movies aren't made well, and then the stories are good. Still, it's that the the actual writing of the movie has to be bad. Um, beyond that, I think that the two movies need to kind of... Pairing just two random movies together doesn't make a bad double feature. It just makes a marathon. Pairing two movies you thought fit together and then finding out they didn't is what makes a bad double feature. So I think they have to share some quality that you then find out does not actually make them fit together. Um, I'm trying to think of another piece of criteria, but I think that's all I can muster up. I think there's another one because there is another factor, you know, the, the hashtag X factor of bad double features. And that's when you pair up two good movies but because of how they're paired, they make the other one worse. Because we, we said a double feature should feel like you're watching just one long film. You know, just watching long one long filmic experience. That's fair, yeah. 
And when you watch a bad double feature, it feels like in that long four-hour film experience, it just, like, no matter which one, the second one makes the first one worse, and or the first one makes the second one worse. Because the first one maybe builds to a point, and then when you get to the next, you know, emotional high of the second one, it just falls flat. Or the first one doesn't get you to a point where you watch the second one, and all you're thinking about the second one is, oh my god, this is just more nothing going on. That's fair. It was kind of a thing that happened with our um, Pearl Harbor and Tor 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 episode, where that was five plus hour of movie. Yeah. Where if you watched... um. Pearl Harbor first, it was three hours of excitement, big, bombastic stuff, and then you got watched Tor Tor Tora afterward, and it's a much slower burn movie, and it feels like you should watch it the other way around. Yeah, that's actually not, or in general, too, just factoring in runtime to a double feature uh, on its own, I think, too, impacts it, but, you know, I don't think any of our double features here necessarily mark all those boxes, but it's true it's true i think each one has a little 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 dab by then reviewing these criteria though mm-hmm. i do think one is reassuredly the worst of the worst for this year. well let's knock out a few which ones are obviously just we were we messed up on putting them together well you know murder by death and knives out I don't think actually deserves to be the worst. Knives Out is still a fantastic movie. And then Murder by Death is still, you know, it's fun, quirky, old comedy. Yeah. And it's short. So it kind of gets it. Uh, it delivers its blow briefly. So I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a pass there. Murder by Death and Knives Out. You got a pass for the year. I think fanboys and Scott pilgrim versus the world i think we can give it the same pass i'd give it a pass i mean they're both fine yeah i I enjoy scott pilgrim versus the world fanboys was certainly interesting um uh, on top of the fact of i think intrigue can can be plus points when you're looking at a double feature um one being a good movie and then one having a lot of cameos from who are people who are now wildly famous Mm. Um, you know, I think that helps and it certainly bumped it up for me. Um, so I'll give that a pass as well. And frankly, because of the discussion of the criteria, I also think Spaceballs and Galaxy Quest doesn't deserve it because on their, again, on their own, not bad, just when paired together, not really, you don't want to sit down for four hours to watch these. Yeah. Spaceballs and Galaxy Quest, it's one of those things where together they're both sweet but or apart they're sweet together they're just kind of sour yeah and honestly like i ain't gonna lie i was just trying to prolong this because i know you wanted to just yeah i've been waiting to shit on these two for 10 plus minutes like yeah i've been trying to just stop you from going on a ramp but bro go for it urban legends you have the stage final cut and i know what you did last summer deserved to be the worst double feature because these are two crappy movies i hated watching them I hated talking about them. I hated everything about the process. I hope I never have to watch these movies again. Zero stars. This is the Ratsies. I'm going to talk my shit. Go on. No, what, that, what didn't you like about I just said episode? I don't want to ever talk about these again. I, That's what I, I have to say to these two movies. Yeah, yeah good luck with that because we got a couple of 
a, a more yeah pairing we got to talk about the, it'll come back i guess but certainly thank you to urban legends final cut and i know what you did last summer for being just a pile and we hope to never see you again i mean speak for yourself i'm probably gonna watch urban legends final cut oh my gosh. again well uh, we all have guilty pleasures i suppose yeah if only i was guilty but moving on <laughs> To people who probably do feel guilty about being in some movies, let's go with the Worst Actress Award. Yes. The Worst Actress Award, opposite of the Best Actress Award, is actually a longer list than we were able to feature in the Best Actress list. We have five instead of four. And that mostly goes on to we watched kind of a lot of... We got watched more bad movies than good movies overall. So that's more why. Certainly. But to go down the list, we have Ellen Page, who I lobbied to be on this list, mostly because I absolutely hated her, hated um, Ellen Page, who is now Elliot Page, in Juno. Absolutely hated it. Right. I, I could not get behind the character talking like you're out of a 30s movie in a teen con- I don't know why. It might just be how Diablo, how Diablo Cody wrote the character i just couldn't get behind it yeah it you know i did completely forget about elliot page so congratulations to him um yeah so we may we may give him a pass for this because frankly now not technically qualified to be on the worst actress list <laughs> son of a son of a bitch <laughs> well god damn it you know i'm not saying that there's some sort of conspiracy here dean but you may have you may have been duped but I'm a little little mad. I really didn't like Juno. Well, to move on, I just been me. We we have Sarah Baker, who was I believe your choice because of the campaign, correct? Yes, yes. Um, she played the wife in uh to Huggins on the campaign to Mrs. Huggins, and that was mostly because the performance was just not super there. Um, yeah, you could you could tell she was kind of just phoning it in and also you could tell they they cast her because they just needed a plus size woman to do a sex scene with will ferrell fair assessment so if but we move on to my pick for this list francis mcdormand for dark man yeah i was about to say shadow man because i was like i tried to erase that movie from my mind you're a monster. I'm not a monster. Frankly, you know, again, Dark Man, enjoyable for for the sole purpose of watching, just again a nightmare. But, um, yeah, I, this one I was like, I I think this is this will be an interesting, an interesting dis- what I'm finding as we go down the list at least, interesting discussion in material versus acting versus direction. And uh, speaking of that, we then have uh, Jennifer Morrison. From Urban Legends. Final cut. Yes. Speaking Told of, you we'd get back to it. Speaking of material. Uh, and finally, we also have from that pile of a uh, pairing, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt for Urban Legends. Final cut. No, from I Know What You Did Last or, Summer. Yeah, I, I know. Same movie. I mean, we, we made a point of it. Basically. It's the same damn movie. You know? Yeah. The same plot, copy pasta, some names, you're fine. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, 
for those two, it's just plainly the quality of the acting. They were both relatively young when they were in the films, and you can tell they had close to no real acting experience, and they were playing teenagers in a horror movie. You know, you're not you're not getting Olivier on that one. Yeah. But I guess we can just probably knock off a few people on the worst actress list. Who gets the past and who gets the axe? So this is, I think, the thing I was thinking about, and it'll probably come up again, the best actor category, is I think that some of these actresses can get the pass because of bad material, right? Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, this does make me have to give the pass to both Jennifer Love Hewitt and Jennifer Morrison, who I think in other things I've seen them in, perfectly fine actresses and are certainly... Only, only where they are because they had to play the main character of a horror movie. You know, it's never going to get you the best acting. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I can, I can see that, but I, I don't want to cut out Jennifer Love Hewitt though, because, okay, Jennifer Morrison, I can give her a pass because Final Legend, Final or Urban Legends, Final Cut is a sequel to a '90s or to an early 2000s slasher flick. Yeah, it was already a low bar. It was the director's first film, I think it was his only film, and didn't really have a lot to go on. Uh, but Jennifer Love Hewitt, she was in a film that had an established director. The writer was also the writer of Scream, already, in a, you know, at the time, an established script. And I, in the studio was behind it, I, she might get cut off later. But if we're going to do cutting people off for material's sake, Ellen Page and Sarah Baker probably get a free pass on that one. Yeah, because, I, I certainly think... Or Elliot Page. Uh, yeah, I, I do know, I, I think, ended up being a good movie overall. So that's one reason I would then also cut that, because, you know, if, if the whole performance adds up to a good movie overall, I you know, I think that deserves something. And then Sarah Baker, yeah, it's like that. The campaign was no genius script, so... Those were strictly just, I didn't like how the characters were written, and I personally thought that brought down the movie, but then again, Juno just didn't do anything for me. That might have that might have been why. Yeah. Um. So that's why that gets a pass, and Sarah Baker, like, for, for God's sake, she's in the... I think she has, like, four lines of dialogue in the movie. Pretty much. I mean, it's, yeah. can't can't counter against that. Um, now, a actress who I think gets no excuse for the performance, the choices the that were made on screen, is Frances McDormand. Yeah, because Frances McDormand was in Dark Man, directed by Sam Raimi, who is an actual very good director. Watch Evil Dead the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films. Hmm. The guy, he knows what he's doing. Right, yeah. Yeah. You know... Listen, I, I... I don't know if she's a bad... I don't know if it's a bad performance, though. It's just kind of a bland performance more than anything. You thought that was bland? Was there anything about that movie that was bland? It was off the walls. I mean, bonkers. I mean, I think what gets it for me, right? Frances mm-hmm. McDormand is obviously has a pedigree in the Cohen films. In playing these wacky, um, specific characters 
but I had recently watched Fargo, which obviously she is the, one of the main characters of, along with uh, William H. Macy. And, you know, in that, it's like the character itself is not meant, is not really like a best actor material when you think about it. Because she's just playing like a, a Wisconsin-esque um minnesota well yeah but you know everybody always attributes that to like wisconsin it's a midwestern yeah wherever yeah and if you live in california or new york everything that's not california or new york is the midwest yeah like the north midwest i guess is how i would put it because i I don't know if minnesota's um, semantics let's get back to the point semantics yeah um she turns out a great performance in that movie like yeah. and and I also think that has to do with the fact that Fargo is A plus material, but Darkman, on top of being, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's a horrible material. I think it it entertained me somewhat for two hours. Um, Bruh, that did you see the explosion in the middle of downtown Los Angeles? They did where he drove a um airplane or a helicopter into a into a bridge yeah it, it was pretty amazing it's, but it's pretty badass i just think francis mcdormand at the end of the day in this movie feels so overacted you know it to me it felt like she just took the part and then was so not both not for the part but all, at the same time went over the bar as far as what she needed to do there was always moments of surprise that seemed like she was too wide-eyed. There was always moments of, like, where the emotion felt off. I don't know. Maybe it also has to do with some of the direction, but I just I didn't like this one. I, I mean, I guess, but I felt that it was more like, okay, I'll give you that she felt like she wasn't the right pick for the part, but... I, it didn't feel like her emotions were all over the place. It felt like she was just at a constant, like, cruise. Like, she knows that this is pr- a pretty low-budget fare. She knows this ain't gonna get be a, an awards thing. She knows she's probably just doing this as a favor to Sam Raimi. She, it feels like she's turning in a performance where it's, I know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna kind of cruise through this one. This is a paycheck movie. Where it's like, with the other two actresses, or at least the other actress we haven't eliminated yet, it felt like she was trying, and it just wasn't good. Which is exactly why I think I would let her slip, is the thing. Because the other thing about Jennifer Love Hewitt is she's playing exactly the character she should be. She's just trying to be the girl next door who's caught up in this mess. And, you know, Mm -hmm. also it being one of her formative parts. Part of me sitting here like, you know, I can't really knock her too much. Um... You know, again, it's not A-plus material, yada, yada, yada. It wasn't... I will say the first half of I Know What You Did Last Summer isn't bad. But it's just that that second half is terrible, and I, I can't fault her for that necessarily. Um, and and I don't want to fault Darkman, because at the end of the day, I still think Darkman is an enjoyable watch. But is it A-plus material, dude? <laughs> I mean, this is also I mean, a guy... Okay. I'll give you that. It's not A-plus, like, Oscar material, but it's A-plus schlock, dude. It's certainly A-plus schlock, but that's exactly why it's not A-plus material overall. I mean, we, we, had, we saw him jump out of a skyscraper to the city below with all, all of the time ignoring the laws of physics about that fact. 
while he had just I mean, been in a if coma. If you want to talk laws, laws of physics, he got blasted out of a building at Mach 5 while on fire and survived. So he can go back and hunt people on a revenge trip for the mob. That is literally like the fever dream of a cokehead. And that's and what it's I'm great. saying here is that... Listen, albeit all around... You say bad, I say good. I don't know, Anybody man. involved with Darkman should just go their separate ways and never talk to each other again. My vote here is for Francis McDormand. I don't know what your <sighs> vote is for, but... I, I want to vote Jennifer Love Hewitt purely because I thought her performance was worse. In a purely, like, if you we had to watch the two of them and, as, and do us a scene, I think Jennifer Love Hewitt was the worst actress in the in these outings do i think Frances mcdormand is a much better actress oh hell yeah do i think that she turned in a really bad performance here absolutely jennifer love hewitt has she begun other things yeah but did she turn in the worst singular performance for this list i think she did i i have to come up with evidence here to prove that Frances mcdormand it just absolutely was not the person for a dark man I don't think she was either. No, dude. I like, here's the thing. I agree with you. Absolutely. That she wasn't good. Bad actress for the movie. Wasn't the right part. The performance was lackluster across the board. I'm just saying, I think Jennifer Love Hewitt was worse. I think you might just be over there wanting to exile Jennifer Love Hewitt's performance from, I know what she did last summer out of, out of your head. No, I, I don't. I, I just I firm I think I firmly believe that like the the fact that she's just playing the teenage character, it's just that her part is a little bit more acceptable as a cliche, I think. Whereas McDormand, her being a dance in distress, distress was just about the only thing I got from her in the movie, and I don't know if it was But Ooh. here's the thing. With Francis McDormand, she's in like a handful of scenes. Jennifer Love Hewitt, she's the main character. We follow her through the entire movie. Let's see. I, I'm trying to come up with evidence here because I'm firm. I'm firmly putting my foot down that it was not look, good. Look, the scene where, like, Liam Neeson comes back and is like, "Jules, I'm alive," because that's how he talks in the movie, and she's like, "Oh my god!" and that and the emotion of that scene falls completely flat. That's probably her worst scene. Like, absolutely. She sees her her lover who was supposed to be dead and he's back, you know, from a great beyond. And there's just nothing there. Just blank-eyed. Jennifer Love Hewitt, when she does the whole who's watching me things, and she spins around in the middle of the street just screaming. Come on, dude. I'm I'm honestly trying to find some evidence right now because I, I I just gave you evidence. I just compared scene to scene. I know, but I or I know I can come actress. up with some video evidence that proves this. <laughs> We're not going to a video podcast. Hold on. I know there's something I can come up with. I just have to find it. Ladies and gentlemen, David refuses to give in. Look, we'll save this decision and for for after. All right, we'll get back to it. We can move on. Worst actress, Frances McDormand, Jennifer Love Hewitt. You're getting a freebie right now, but we coming back to you. Let's go to worst actor. 
Okay, because maybe that, that that's true. Because maybe it'll reveal some discussion in which we can suss this out. Because Be- I'm sticking by my choice, but I don't know. Which, I don't know who's gonna budge first. All right, stick by my choice, and don't worry. The movies we are talking about they come up later. Because oddly enough, for worst actor, we have Liam Neeson from Darkman. And again, this it's like the Francis McDormand thing. It feels like a good actor is just playing in a it just knows they're in a in a movie that's not that great and they're just kind of turning in a performance to get a paycheck and it's like okay not not to be an asshole but it feels like he's just acting below his pay grade it was so obviously the thing that makes dark man is dark man himself and listen as zany as as zany is a good word for it but as zany as it was it just was not it i don't know i i i think about liam neeson's performance in this movie and i just think i don't know of a single actor who could have done it this way and not in a good way oh bruce if bruce campbell was dark man this movie would be a plus material absolutely yeah i believe that actually but Liam Neeson. I just don't know if he could do the like frantic. You know what I mean? Because when you think about him, and this is also retroactive, but when you think about him, he's cool, calm, and collected. Mm. But frantic, I don't know. And I, that legit that legitimately calls into question his ability to act in this part. Not overall, because obviously Liam Neeson is a quite talented and studied and uh, renowned actor. But you know, overall in this one. It, it's one of those things where when he's trying to act um, distraught, broken, he's trying to just express himself through, you know, all that makeup, he comes off like a cartoon character. Yeah. And, again, that's a thing, because Sam Raimi, as I believe you said, he learned filmmaking in a madhouse, you know? He, a fun house, every, is I think what I said. A, Get it right, In a fun Dean. house, yeah. Sorry. He, he learned filmmaking in a fun house. And Liam Neeson, he's trying to emote these things through the pounds of makeup, and it's just coming off as just a cartoon character. And, you know, I really like Darkman, but it does kind of pull you out of the movie. I mean, if you're in for the ride, you're in for the ride, and you just kind of go with it. But Yeah, it's fun to laugh at. It's not a great performance. But it's like, yeah, it's not... It's not it's not Marvel movie acting if you get my drift. Um and next we have for somebody who's not Marvel movie acting, Freddie Prince Jr. or as you lovingly called him, the guy with the dead trout face and the block of wood who has learned to act. Did I say that about him? I think you said he had dead trout mouth because he just kept his mouth open the entire time and just stared blankly off into space for every scene oh yeah well yeah that's true and this is actually going to be another interesting argument because while i understand that i hated it um again i don't know if i can fault him for this one because it's just him being a hunk on screen it's just at the end of the day what he's supposed to do he's just to look he's supposed to be the handsome oaf that that is supposed to be the main character's boyfriend can't really fault him for that I mean, I think it's more to do with the fact that at the end of the day, it's that if, if, 
I feel like bad acting ends up being making a choice and it being the wrong choice mm-hmm. versus making no choice at all. And while I, again, I'd rather an actor make something unique because then that makes the whole movie a good experience. Ergo Darkman, where you can watch it because it's not, it's not going to, it, it's not going it, to like make you cry or anything. <laughs> Darkman knows exactly what it is on the out. Yeah. And if you're not down with it, you're not down with it. But if you're down with it, it's fun. Yeah. And, and I, I just know. think at the end of the day, I know what you did last summer. They did their job. They they did what they needed to do and got out. I mean, I get that. But it's like, look, I get it. Liam Neeson feels like he's just, he's way overqualified to be in this movie. But Freddie Prince Jr., he's like he's qualified to be in this movie, and he's just bad. Like at least at least Skeet Ulrich tried in Scream. Yeah, that's true. But even still, is was Liam Neeson qualified to be in Dark Man, or was he overqualified? Uh... Moving on. Yeah. We, next we have the uh, an actor who was in your favorite movie of the year, Bar None, Willow, oh, and it's Val God. Kilmer. Who is playing a um, who played Mad Mardigan? Who we said was um, Han Fantasy Han Solo, and he's basically doing his Han, best Han Solo impression throughout the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, I just I still am racking my brain over why they would choose to cast Val Kilmer other than yeah name recognition, but I don't know of what child is going. You know, they're they're not gonna burst open the theater doors just to go see Val Kilmer. I, I think that completely missed the mark on like the, the kind of star you would get to play this. Um, which, you know, is, is a case of miscasting. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying it's bad acting, but Val Kilmer still managed to really not do a good job with this one. Yeah. And I think we said Willow was a movie that is good. If you're like, very young yeah but we are not very young people when we watch the movie and it kind of a little flat yeah because even when i think about it too if if val kilmer was a casting for somebody's parent who's trying to go see this movie maybe that's Mm -hmm. the strategy they're going with is like we're trying to make the movie for kids but also enjoyable for the parents you know uh well I don't know because Valcomer still I I like I said there's a few good moments like but not for the kind of good that the movie wanted and overall Valcomer uh, is kind of just separate from the whole movie in in a weird way as a result it, it feels like every time Val Kilmer's on Val Kilmer is playing a different movie yeah and it kind of pulls away from the main character of Willow. And you're like, is Mad Mardigan the main character? Because he's, because you can tell Val Kilmer's trying to steal all the scenes he's in by just going over the top, and it's just kind of weird. Yeah. But speaking of kind of weird, we have a kind of a weird guy next, which is Kevin Spacey from Twenty One, which I still hold is a pick just because Kevin Spacey is a scumbag. Yeah. Which. He is a scumbag. Th- that's exactly right. I mean, we resolved to put this pick on the list, not necessarily because it was bad, but because, you know, Kevin Spacey, you deserve to not get Be praise. shit on for about 10 minutes. Yeah, and 
So let's shit on Kevin Spacey in 21 for a couple of minutes. Okay, so first thing I would say is this is this is a case where I would say the typecast was correct, but because of that, I didn't like it. Because he it, thought it just Kevin felt, Spacey was too safe. Yeah, it just felt like Kevin Spacey for you know an hour and a half. It didn't feel like I was actually looking at a college professor. Like I almost felt like somebody like a William H Macy or maybe somebody a little bit more grizzled and and, and innocent looking like that could then because uh, Kevin Spacey is a little menacing anyway, you know. I mean, other than I, real reasons. Uh, yeah, well, the thing is with Kevin Spacey in that part, I I thought he gave a good performance with what he was given, but what he was given was kind of lackluster. Yeah. And that's mostly because he's trying to play this college professor who is actually this, like, ex-blackjack card-counting, like, m- master, and he's running all these kids, and he's trying to be intimidating, and he's trying to be this kind of crime underground guy but it comes off kind of bullshit to me and that's mostly because kevin spacey just one doesn't really look like a college professor in the scenes he's trying to be a college professor in he's trying to be like this card counting you know intimidating like genius dude yeah and he just comes off as kind of snarky and the other thing is when he's trying to intimidate Jim Sturgis, who is the the student in that, like, Kevin Spacey is also just not that intimidating of a physical presence. Yeah, especially in that, like, final action sequence of the movie where there's supposed to be some sort of, like, you know, major physical consequences for Kevin Spacey or whatever. Which in itself is kind of lending its, uh, the, the blame to the material, but... I thought the material was okay. It's just the material that Spacey had to work with didn't fit him as a character, as an as an actor. Yeah, and I always go back to the whole, um, you know, a while ago, this was something that went around on the internet, that Brian Cranston, the way he picks projects, is he grades the material by, you know, A to, to F, and then he, he can suss out how well he's going to do based on the material. And then that's how he chooses. It's like, okay, here's an A script. I know I can do an A job. But if it's a B script, well, I think I could still put in A work. But if it's a B script and I can only put in B work, well, you know, I think I might still do it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, maybe this was just a situation where Spacey was like, well, this is crappy. I know I'm above this, even though I'm above nothing because I'm... (laughs) Hashtag scumbag. Yeah, horrible human being. Um, Honestly, Brian Cranston would have made, done a way better job as Kevin Spacey's character in 21. Yeah, something, something like this, because it's somebody who you can trust at first, but then becomes somebody you hate. And I think that's actually... It's the Walter White effect. Yeah, because, you know, here's actually a good way to point out why uh, that key kind of reversal doesn't happen. From the get-go, I think Kevin Spacey is snobby. And frankly, as a viewer, I'm sitting there going like, well, I don't really want to care about this guy anyway, so I won't care when he becomes the bad guy. It's also the thing you know he's going to be the bad guy anyway. Yeah. So it's like there's no real tension there. But that's kind of us shitting on Kevin Spacey in 21. Now let's kind of start narrowing some things down. Yes. So, 
who who gets the pass first? Um, personally, I, I Val Kilmer is just kind of an odd man out at the end of the day. I yeah, I, I don't know for some reason it it doesn't it didn't cross me. It's it's forgettable. It's not bad. Yeah, I can give him the pass on that one. Um, I know we just talked a lot of crap on Kevin Spacey's performance, but at the end of the day, it's not terrible. Yeah, it was mostly it's just it's mostly the nod in order to acknowledge that we didn't know Kevin Spacey was in that movie and then uh, erase that from everybody's collective memory. Yeah, but on the other note, is the performance is fine. He might have just been a little miscasted for it. Yeah, pass on that one. We have Freddie Prinze Jr. and Liam Neeson as our final two in the Thunderdome. I kind of want to give Liam Neeson a pass on his material. It's one of those things where it's like, it's the same reason I want to give Francis McDormand a pass, okay? And it's going to come back to the you know, best I, actress thing. I'm going to call it here, Dean. I think there's some foul play going on. Really? Uh, really what I think it is, is you just like Darkman and you want to just, you just want to shit all over my choices for these awards. Look, one, I do like Darkman. Darkman is a great movie, and you're the one with the problem, all right? I don't have a problem. And also I don't because, have a problem. The, bro, come on. Like, okay, okay. I'll give you this. Liam Neeson's performance in Darkman is zany, over the top, it's weird, and it's it's just awkward. He has a very he has a very awkward performance in Darkman. Freddie Prince Jr. has no performance. Yeah, I, I, would, I would go, I would go back lines. to the instead of the insanity argument, I would go back to the forgettable argument here. Okay, I plead that my defendant is just forgettable, Your Honor. And I plead the same. If you want to do that, I'll plead the same thing for Frances McDormand. She's just forgettable in Darkman. No, I, I I have to say, okay, you know what? I'm willing to put out a plea deal here. If if you give me Liam Neeson for worst actor, I'll give you Jennifer Love Hewitt for worst actress. Really? Plea deal. You can take Ooh. it or leave it. That's from straight from the DA's office. I mean, like, my client will only get five years. He might walk on this one. Mm, I, I think you're really underestimating the power of the jury. You know what? I think I could give you that because at least that means both lead actors in the movie got got their due, and I and I really don't want to give Frances McDormand a, a worst actress TBH because she was not the worst actress. Liam Neeson, he was the most weird actor for the, the for the worst actor, and I'll give you that. So there you go. We have decided worst actor and worst actress. Worst actor, Liam Neeson. Worst actress, Miss Jennifer Love Hewitt. I think it's fair. That's fair. But now, the reason why they probably gave <laughs> bad performances, yeah. if we're being honest here, we have the worst director category. First up on the list, we have actually one of my favorite directors, the man who learned his craft in a funhouse, Mr. Sam Raimi for Dark Man. Why you gotta be like that, man? I'm just saying, it, it it all comes down to the material, okay? It all comes down to the material. I still... Again, it's A-plus schlock. 
a plus schlock, but schlock but... nonetheless. That makes for F grade material, dude. You're just you're just flipping the scale on its head. It doesn't make much sense. Come on, dude. You've never you've never just enjoyed a bad movie. Come on. I certainly have enjoyed a bad movie, but yeah. We watched Freak Out on this podcast. Yeah, you mu- uh, 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 separate podcast. Separate podcast. Separate podcast. But nonetheless. <laughs> I would still probably put them under worst director categories because, again, that movie's not directed well, but that's from a technical sense because there's other things behind it. You know, if that's the other argument, too. If Darkman was to come up on Too Obscure for TV, it'd be a totally different story. But it came up on this podcast where we're actually trying to, to suss out some quality filmmaking. Whereas to, on Too Obscure, we're just trying to enjoy some things we find. We're, we're highlighting some some obscure stuff. Yeah. But okay, look, we'll 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 get to it. We'll get to it, okay? Because yeah. next we have Mr. John Ottman for Urban Legends Final Cut, the man who tried to steal as much of Hitchcock as he possibly could. Yeah, you know, you might actually get a uh, slide on Sam Raimi for this one, um, or possibly nice. for another person on this list that we'll get to in a moment. Uh, next up, we do have Jay Roach who directed the campaign you can tell he did this for money yeah uh, you know and i think there's an interesting discussion to be had there about studio involvement um that's gonna that's gonna be a big discussion point for right because it did come up in the episode yet Mm -hmm. well we'll see how it affects the conversation finally we have uh jim gillespie on this list jim gillespie for i know what you did last summer and you know i think uh, all these names coming back there i have memories flooding back to me now and frankly i do think one sticks out in my mind but i would like to talk a little bit about why i do and don't think each one deserves this yeah we'll start who gets the passes and then we'll get to who gets the axes uh frankly i'm gonna say it Of anybody on this list that gets a pass? I think Sam Raimi. I told you, okay? Even though it's schlocky material, even though he's literally trying to do a superhero movie as a B-horror film, you gotta admit, he knows how to craft craft enjoyable action it's just it's it's unique i'll give him that and there are there are aspects of that movie that i still find enjoyable such as the helicopter chase scene which is it was one of my favorite sequences of the year i will give it that and um it was he tried he really did and i gotta i gotta give it to him for it's the thing for a sam raimi movie he will give you 110 percent, no matter how bad the material is yeah you know this is kind of uh, a retroactive thought, but I think it's just that Dark Man was made at the time when filmmaking wasn't able to service the story quite as it needed to. Whereas if it was made even in the era that the companion film to that episode, um, Blade, Blade was made. So, you know, like turn of the millennia. Um, mm. I feel like they could have done it a little bit more service with some special effects um possibly even a different tone to the movie uh because again dark man was still on the cusp of kind of a more analog version of hollywood um it was a simpler time when yeah. dark man came out and it really 
you can tell it was kind of the early part of computer generated effects and kind of it even knew it was pushing the limits of what it could do on screen certainly certainly um but yeah i mean you know people will remember this film as one of sam raimi's little little babies and you know we can't we can't shy away from the fact that we that he did something there um now certainly somebody else on this list I, i will give a slight pass to because again it happens to be about studio involvement this time and i think jay roach gets a little bit of a pass i think so too because the campaign at the end of the day felt like a movie where i think we talked about this on that episode that somebody showed up was like hey i got this treatment it's a comedy. Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis kind of want to be in it. Uh, I can pump you out a script in about a month. They can riff some jokes on the fly to fill it out. You guys want to make a movie? And they were like, yeah, sure. We'll get Jay Roach to do it. He did the Austin Power movies. It'll be fine. Right. And, and I think that's as a result. It's like it's not necessarily his fault that the script. It's kind of the same material problem, right? Um Whereas I don't think if Jay Roach was behind this movie, it might have been a little bit more ambitious. Because one of the things I also fault this movie for being is just not that crazy. You know, I mean, it, it's kind of a at the end of the day, not that crazy of a story. It, it doesn't really pop off the page because all it really is about is a South Carolina or West Virginian or wherever the hell they are town. And that's really it. I mean, I, if, if this was more of a national thing, if it had more stakes to it, that would then drive up the comedy's value. You know, you, if it you was made like a, a governorship and they had to travel a lot more and get a lot more sight gags. Yeah. Or uh, you made a good point about pointing out Talladega Nights in that episode. And Talladega Nights ended up being great because it has to do with like a person who's a national icon. You know, he's a celebrity. He he is Ricky Bobby, the, the famous NASCAR driver. Uh, and it becomes this, this kind of, in a way, epic crisis of confidence story. Um, but this is just kind of... I don't know. I just... I, I raspberries to it. I don't, I don't know. There's also a thing where you can tell it was trying to go somewhere because it went from being a fairly straight comedy to being more and more ridiculous. Yeah at the end and you it, it really felt like this movie there were people breathing down jay roach's neck telling him hey we need to do this hey we need to do that make sure you get this done which kind of explains why the movie cost a million dollars a minute yeah that was another reason that, the, that we probably could uh then fault him for that but i still think that's the studio's fault for giving him that much money um now, these two others certainly don't deserve a pass because of what happened in these movies. But mm-hmm. I think there's one thing that that uh, one did, the other didn't, that really makes the other one not at fault here. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think Jim Gillespie made a movie that had a much more defined tone and style, whereas John Ottman just kind of got stuck with this movie that's just like... Uh, what's going on here guys it's one of those things where okay here's my view of what's going on here john ottman he's a he i believe he was a music he was a guy in like the music department or sound design team like that's what's his gig 
he did music and he got the opportunity to direct this film which i believe is his only directing credit and he was like well this is my opportunity to direct the material's not great but this is probably the only chance i'm gonna get to make a movie and he went for it and you know it was kind of lackluster you can tell he's pulling a bunch from like hitchcock and that tone that style of camera work where don't get me wrong hitchcock is good if you're gonna steal steal from the best but it's a thing where there's a fine line between theft and homage that he's straddling like a like a stripper on a tuesday i also think it's uh particularly annoying when you have to listen to a dead horse be beat for an hour and a half because the the hitchcock stuff is just all over the movie and it just gets in the way it just does and that's only i think that's the only thing a director can do a producer can't do that a screenwriter can't do it that much the director is the one who has the taste in the movie and, and makes the choices and frankly i just don't I didn't get it. I don't know. It was a commercial horror film. I don't know why that had to be all over it. Maybe this... Yeah, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt in that maybe it what did have to do with the fact that if this was going to be his only baby, he wanted to put his mark on it. But it's also the mark of another man. So, I mean, at the end of the day. And then we also have Jim Gillespie, who he had director's credits before the film, and you can tell there's a thing where there was competence put forward. There's a creative, there's definitely a creative eye to the film up until about the, for the first half of the movie. And then it's one of those things where you're, you're running to the end zone and you spike the ball on the 10 yard line before you get to the, get to the end zone. Yeah. And he just kind of drops his spaghetti out of his pockets and fumbles the last half of the movie right and and ultimately what really gets me about this movie uh, which is it's gonna seem petty of me i know this is gonna seem don't listen preemptively don't blame me you know i'm a simple man but that helicopter shot in the very beginning opening credit sequence where they're just flying across the sea i got pumped up by it i gotta say and it's it's (laughs) You were yelling at me for liking Darkman, and you're like, the only good thing about this movie is the helicopter, like, pan at the beginning, and that's good enough for you. Because it's Great. cool, dude. And you know who he's trying to please? Teenagers. So when you got teenagers coming to do a movie, and they look at that helicopter shot, and they're like, that's so emotional and cool looking. I'm going to stay and watch this movie. He did his job. He did it. I, I guess? Listen. If we're going to talk about which movie spawned several more sequels after it. They both technically did. Uh, well, how many more sequels was, of Urban sequel. Legends? Okay, first of all, <laughs> so there's the first Urban Legends and Final Cut was the sequel. I know. So it was already a sequel. But how many more and I think after there's that? two more after, I think. Look, Final, Final Cut was not the one who made you the other two sequels. I gave you that damn much. All right, and it's fine. But yeah, I, so there, there's the thing. So we have a director who didn't know any better and just tried his best and just kind of came up short. And we have a director who knew what he was doing. He just kind of fumbled the ball and it just kind of ended up in a pretty crummy movie. Made money, just kind of a whatever movie. Yeah, but you know, the other thing I would also fault um, Urban Legends uh, for over, I know what you did last summer. Urban Legends 
far and away, top to bottom, bad material. I know what you did last summer. I at least had good material at the beginning, but the ending was kind of crappy. So at the end of the day, it's like, well, as a director, if I change, I could change the ending. Um, I, I would also be interested to know if there was a different ending in the original version of the script, because obviously, again, we always go through rewrites in Hollywood, but I don't know. I, I, I just think too much of the bad material ended up showing in, in Urban Legends, and I'm going to put my final vote in here for John Ottman. I gotta say, I, I gotta say. I mean, I think I can give you that where top to bottom, Urban Legends was probably a wor- like a worse quality film, but it had consistency. And I think that's a point where it was consistent, even though it was bad, but I know what you did last summer. It was like, it was pretty good. And then it was just so disappointing and it got and it wasn't that good to begin with and just kind of spiraled into really bad. Yeah. But I'll give you that. At the end of the day, John Ottman, new guy on the block, tried his best and just came up short. Worst director here. It is the reason he hasn't worked since this movie. You'll never direct in this town again after this scathing review on Double Feature. Uh, we wish we had that much power. Yeah, but in all honesty, I mean, he's he's still working very well in the music departments of many studios. Yeah, you know, oh, hey, you know what they say? Sometimes college is about finding what you don't want to do. And finding what we don't want to do is this next one, our final picks, because you know what we don't want to do is rewatch some of these movies. Yeah, and now we go to the worst singular film we watched this year. Couldn't have put it. The movie we absolutely hated sitting through yeah i couldn't have put it any better myself uh these movies made me want to throw up cry except for one i i do i do disagree with one but obviously i gotta give it to dean i mean there's one that i disagree with on this list but we'll get to that yeah 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 well you know this is this is all there's a lot of contempt in this episode so let's just get this over with guy yeah obviously the first pick uh has been a frequently noted in this episode um urban legends final cut yes not dark man either way feels good but urban legends final cut which we just kind of pointed out it's a movie where it's a low budget slasher thriller kind of film it knows what it is first time director unknown cast goes in and it's just kind of me it's mediocre through for its 90 minute runtime there's not a lot there it that's the thing and that's the thing with this movie is there's nothing to to crunch your teeth on there's nothing there's nothing deeper below the surface it's just a slash oh i was crunching my teeth while grinding them uh trying to find anything to distract myself from the pain that this movie caused me but you know that's that's the harsh note uh that i can say is the same for this next movie i know what you did last summer which was a movie that had such high hopes high expectations and then just dashed them asunder and it was this one was so disappointing yeah, there was quite a poetic uh, review of the film there, Dean. I think it really fits the tone of this sad, sad boy movie. 
Um, but that's really all it's got going for it because at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know what you would, uh, you can't really excuse a bad ending. Can you? Not really. Well, it's the thing where the ending comes up and it makes the whole rest of the movie seem stupid. Frankly, it does. Yeah. It it makes the whole rest of the film seem completely pointless. You really got to try hard to retcon yourself. Um, without realizing that you're retconning yourself right yeah it's also a thing where it's so interesting you spent 90 minutes setting up a mystery where the audience is kind of with you and then you pay it off by giving them the middle finger for even trying to think about it for the last 90 minutes and it's just kind of that's the thing it's almost insulting the ending which makes me mad yeah, because but, it turns what's like this yeah. really interesting morality play into just like a now we got to get the bad guy kind of thing, and it's like uh, you know I and then it's a thing where the bad guy you thought was the bad guy wasn't actually the bad guy. He was a guy you had no idea who he was. Yeah, he's just some nobody. And I just think that at the end of the day, the movie misses a clear opportunity to maintain all of its sequels with some pretty good quality. I might add. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna explain in a moment because this was not something I thought about in the original episode because I was too busy fuming that we had wa- had to watch these movies, but so the obviously the original ending is that there's this guy who had killed the the guy they thought they killed but then um, he was actually a killer all along so who they thought they killed was a killer yeah that's as confusing as it sounds and what I thought it could have been all along is somebody within their group was doing the killings because they feel guilty about what they did. Mm -hmm. It's a clear motive for murder. Which is what they're setting up for the first half hour of the movie, 45 minutes of the movie. Right. And you know who it could have been all along is our, our uh, worst actor, not me, Freddie Prince jr. Who stayed in the town and you know, all this, all this stuff. And at the end of the day, what it really could have been is that he, he couldn't bear the, the thought of keeping this, a secret any longer so he had to he had to literally let it die with them and then it could be something where she then has to defeat him which again you still get your defeat the bad guy moment because um and, and then it could be something where maybe she, maybe in order to trigger the sequel she then can go to the cops and say he was he was the guy who killed this person last summer uh, you know, blah, 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 in order to get it off her conscience, even though it's a lie. And then the sequel to the movie is, I know, I, I know you lied about what you did last or I don't know what, you know, convoluted. You just described Scream. Yeah, I guess, but it's, it, maybe that's exactly my point is. I, that. It's coming from the same writer. It's so the it's same not writer. But it, it, it's also a little different from Scream because Scream, they aren't necessarily guilty about anything, right? They're just pissed off. Yeah. Whereas well, this could be thing. a little bit more of a darker emotional, like I'm I'm murdering everyone who made me who I am because I can't believe you all ruined my life. Well, here's the thing. In the movie as is, it sets up that it's Freddie Prince Jr. for the whole movie. Well, maybe it doesn't set up Freddie Prince Jr. for the whole movie. It's just, it's just he is one of the main suspects yeah. through the movie. And it's just like, you know. And it just, you know, it, I think it's it sucks because this movie has such potential to be like a really good 
story. And then at the end of the day, it's also in the vehicle of being a commercial movie. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I feel like an audience can handle a really emotional kind of uh, stern story because that's a stern lesson at the end of the day, right? Versus what actually happened. It's kind of it's kind of like I don't understand how they couldn't have seen that. And it was a different era, so I'll also let that slide. But it's kind of like um, when Parasite came out this past year and then went on to win Best Picture. It's a super dark story when you really think about it, right? Incredibly yeah. dark. But it's it happened as stern and exact, exactly as it needed to happen in order for the lesson of the story to be apparent. And I think that helped it more than it hindered it, uh, like a studio may think. Because the audience likes to be fulfilled in that way. They like to see that these characters di- that did something wrong will get their comeuppance because we we want to be better than the characters at the end of the day. I don't know. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. The Dino Chino last summer was just super disappointing. Yeah. And now we go on to a movie that I... That was David's personal pick because how we do these lists is objective like we put in the two objective worst films here and then these were personal picks as what were the movies we personally just didn't like watching yeah and david what did you pick willow uh you you just hate fantasy listen it's not that i hate fantasy because obviously i loved princess bride and there i'm sure we'll end up watching fantasy movies more sometime on this podcast because it's a huge genre and has plenty of uh well-regarded films in it Lord of the Rings the 4K edition just came out just saying so exactly and and I just think that Willow listen I don't think it does anything worse than the the first two movies we mentioned mm-hmm. but it certainly deserves a nod for a nomination because at the end of the day too many things within it were just off the mark and um I'll tip my hat to Ron, ha- a young Ron Howard for giving it a good college try. But at, I don't know. This one didn't do it for me. It was a phone movie. It was a movie you put on and then played on your phone halfway through. No, I will admit I, I watched it um, I, f- most of the way through before putting <laughs> getting my phone up. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it's... I think it also has to do with the pairing we put it with. I mean, it was very obviously worse. Um, I was quite fascinated with the giant monster sequence. Uh, yes. Because it, I, I, if I remember correctly, that used claymation, correct? Correct. Or some sort of stop it, motion? Some sort of stop motion infused with like some computer effects because Indus- uh, Industrial Light and Magic did the effects on this movie. as a- Right, and it, it looked interesting, but at the end of the day, it just um, the whole thing didn't do it for me especially kind of the the writing of willow it's a little too simple you can tell they brought george lucas in to punch up the dialogue yeah um i don't know so i at the end of the day willow's on the list i don't know if it's it's the worst a movie this next film is my personal pick and i'll admit it I just couldn't get into this movie. I can get into a lot of movies. I got it, like, Darkman I was into. I can even roll... I can even, like, work with 
urban legends, and I know Shadow Summer on on a certain level, but Bull Durham, the baseball film, I couldn't get I couldn't get into, and it was it was paired with Moneyball, and Moneyball is a very good film. The thing with Bull Durham, it's like the characters were like not super interesting to me the whole dynamic of what was going on was all over the place it was like a love it was a love triangle film and then it was like this and it was also a baseball movie and it was also this the team trying to win the season and then it wasn't and then it was all this all this stuff in the movie and i just couldn't relate to anybody everybody's a douchebag and that was that was a big part of it and then also um oh god uh, i for now i forget her susan sarandon's character was not the best you're not my friend anymore that's uh, you know what i can't that's take it. this you're not my friend anymore the show's time you're a hey hey screw you listen you gotta admit all right, you like this because it's a baseball movie, and you're a baseball guy. I like. Right? I do, I'm not I do a baseball like this guy. movie because it's a baseball movie, but I also I think there's a there's a charm to this movie that um, I I don't think it commits any particular sins in my in my personal opinion. The story sure isn't conventional, but I also don't think that it ends up in a terrible place because while well, the love triangle, I think what the movie does is there's oftentimes when you're writing a script. The want and the need of the character are often pretty close. For example, in Willow, the want of the character to be to be like the the grand wizard, uh, or whatever. I would be careful with that phrasing, though. But whatever. Oh yeah, well you know that's that's a different movie. Um, <laughs> Disney ha- probably Yikes. has the cap- capability to put that out, but you know, all that aside, they'll probably turn a buck on it. Um, and then obviously then there's the need of the character to fulfill this journey, which will make him worthy to become not the Grand Wizard, but the Supreme Overlord of Wizardry. I don't know. Um, a king of the Wizards? Who, who knows? But, uh, you know, th- those are two pretty close things that you can tell. Well, the, the action of the movie is going on. They're progressing toward the wand. This movie, yeah, I do think that they're a little bit further apart. But they nonetheless kind of converge again because it's all about a veteran kind of coming to grips with the fact that he can't live in this sport forever. So he's going to have to settle down eventually. Otherwise, he'll be alone forever. And the the kid can't be a wily young. Um, I mean, I'm, I guess I'll put it frankly, sex freak forever. He's going to have to grow up and he's going to have to realize that in order to have a career, he's going to need to learn from the veteran who knows what he needs to do. And then in the meantime, both of them are kind of dealing with uh, letting go their respective selves while competing for the love of this character. And and frankly, it, it, it's not quite that on the nose, but I still think it does that job. Um, and and yeah, I think that's why but... people remember the movie anyway. Yeah, but Kevin Costner's like an asshole and but he's great he is some of the best he has some of my, if we had a category for favorite lines he has some of the best lines in this movie i guess but i think that's the thing 
the the main characters of the film for me just were were total douchebags and i can get behind having bad guy characters (laughs) it's baseball look the battered bastards of baseball play their games i get it I can get behind sports movies. I can get behind movies where it's unconventional protagonists. I can get behind movies where the protagonist is a douchebag, whatever. But it's like, there's, at no point did I find anything I could just roll with. And again, it's a personal choice. Like, let's be honest here. Willow and Bull Durham are just personal choices of the movies we didn't like this year. All right. Let's be That's honest. Fair. Neither of them are worse than than the urban legends that I know she did last summer. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, absolutely. I ain't even saying it's the worst movie of the year. I'm just saying it was the one I enjoyed the least. And I'll never speak to you again, but that's beside the point. See you next week on the double feature. Yeah. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so this I guess comes down to let's let's pick one of these two films and throw them out of our collective memories and forever and on, um, never to hear from Because if again. you didn't, yeah, because if you didn't know, Bull Durham and Willow, they get a pass because they're just, we just didn't like yeah, them. Yeah. Urban Legends, Final Cut, and I, did, and I Know What You Did Last Summer, they're just objectively bad movies. Yeah. And I think Urban Legends, Final Cut can get a pass. because here's why listen to me listen to me okay here's why did at any at any point watching the movie did you think it was going to be good no not once and with i know what you did last summer did you think it was going to be good yeah at one point okay here's my argument Urban Legends Final Cut never raised your expectations that it was going to be a good movie. You're going to have a good payout. It was just, hey, turn your brain off. You're going to see some kills. Just roll with it for 90 minutes. It's fine. Everybody's doing this for a paycheck. Don't even worry about it. With I Know What You Did Last Summer, it was the acting, pretty bad across the board. The story, interesting. It'll get you somewhere. And then it drops the ball and it makes everything that came before it worse. And it's one of those things where we even talked about it. It felt like you could have done a lot more with the material and they chose not to. Or they maybe didn't have the the people around it to make it something else. Because they were like, it's a slasher movie. We're cashing in on Scream. Don't even worry about it. Just roll with it. It's a cash grab movie at its finest, and this is against a sequel to a cash grab film. But that is my reasoning as to why I think Urban Legends get a, gets a, a pass. Because it never strives for anything. It never tries to be better. I'll tell you what. While it's against my better judgment, that's that's oddly a fair argument. While I do think that the general audience might disagree with you, with the, within the confines of our conversation here, I think that is grounds. I think that is grounds. Um, so, yeah, against my better judgment, I, I, I think I'm willing to concede that I know what you did last summer is worst film of the year. 
I can't believe we did it. We didn't have to fight over this one. It's the first time in a long time we didn't have to fight over this well, one. Well, you know, it, it makes for good entertainment, Dean. Um, I know. And, uh, it, uh, you know, not going out on the bang, but I do. Yeah, I, I can see it commits the biggest sin. I'll give you that. Um, I'd probably quickly turn Urban Legends off if I ever watched it again over I Know What You Did Last Summer. But, yeah, I do think that I can't get over the sin of wasting good material over having no good material at all. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen. We have the worst out of the way. Yeah. David, so before we do our wrap-up, we went through all the things that made these the worst of the worst of our of our show. And we're going to try our best not to pick bad movies next year. What's the A number one thing you're not going to do when we pick our movies for next year? <sighs> to try and avoid some of the shitters we got. Because I already know my A number one. Well, yeah. I, I think the first thing that pops up to me on this list is when we originally planned all these movies for the show. It was just because we were looking at DVDs we had lying around and things to pair them with. And, you know, it ended up being kind of lackluster because we were just watching some old DVDs. But, you know, nothing wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I think we ended up having a lot of fun with these. And, I, I, you know, this is in the new year when this episode is coming out. So uh, we're already on our journey for another year of good movies. And I think, frankly, ahead of us, we have a year in which we'll be hard-pressed to be disappointed. And um, at the very least, we'll have certainly more picks to go through when it comes to coming up with a worst episode for this next round. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, uh, you know, I, I, I think... Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I, I really don't know how to put it into words other than that. We put a lot more thought into the picks that we're going to be going over, and um, certainly there, there's going to be a little bit more of a mission statement in the in these picks. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we I think we really hit a fantastic year of movies ahead. Yeah, I think the worst is behind us, and because I will never pick another. I, the a number one thing is I'm not gonna try and come up with an episode the day before we recorded. Yeah, that too. Um. Yeah. So for those who don't know how Urban Legends Final Cut and I know what you did last summer came into existence and became the overwhelming worst picks, the one of the worst pairings of the year. It's because we kind of we couldn't get a hold of the other actual movie. And we had to, like, come up with an episode, like, the day before. And funnily enough, we kind of watched the wrong movies. Well, I watched the wrong Urban Legends out the gate. And it was a whole... It, that episode was a whole shit show. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, like we said, we did our research... We we made sure every movie was a movie that we wanted to see or or we thought was a fantastic pick. Um, we've even this is this is a cool thing that we're going to be doing in the new year. We've even segmented out months by theme. So instead of just uh, kind of yanking your chain for a few months, we're gonna be we're gonna be doing a different thing every month. 
um, a different category of film. Um, and I'm sure that'll, that'll raise your intrigue listener. Um, whoever you are, you know, do we want to do a little preview of what's to come this year? You know, absolutely. Well, let's just, uh, list off some of the things we have going throughout the year, uh, by month. I mean, January, we're going to be doing a director's month. Yes. We'll be able to go over some of our favorite directors, old and new that's going to be coming out all throughout january which is the month this is coming out and i'm pretty sure yes and then february we're going to be doing romance month because obviously valentine's day is the only thing that people remember for not the only thing actually i shouldn't say that but uh it's one of the big ones. doing a black history month on this podcast between two white guys would be kind of awkward so It'll be it'll be a little weird. Maybe maybe next time. Um, then we have in March we're marching into War Movie Month. Uh, I think we've really picked out an interesting theme and in kind of going through history with these war movies. Yeah, for this we're going to be starting from some of the oldest wars we can think of and coming up to some stuff that's a little bit more modern. And we're gonna also be hitting some of the best war movies that have come out in the last 50 odd years certainly it's going to be good certainly and then uh starting april 1st we'll be yanking your chain again with a comedy month uh for april fools uh we'll be we'll be kind of jumping around some older comedies here overall yeah we're gonna have a lot of comedies that are mm, we'll say iconic to say the least and also we're gonna be doing a a pairing of some highbrow comedy some so it's not all gonna be fart jokes and blue humor uh, but like those that. are the best uh they are the best oh my god you have no idea absolutely and, and then in may we have our foreign film month um kind of jumping around to different countries every episode because we realized we didn't watch a single film outside of america and that was kind of a crime because um if you guys don't know we really like a, a lot of the movies i watch are not american films so yeah that was kind of weird but you know there's a whole world out there so we may as well explore it including the world that's uh kind of made up and june will be doing that in cartoon june yes uh we're gonna be going through our favorite cartoon films we're gonna be going through some iconic uh, animated films we're going to be doing some anime we're going to be doing even some weird stuff in those cartoon yeah kind of like episodes. that look out for that it. animation fusion with real life believe it or not there are two films that do fall under that category you know one that you'll be surprised by the other good luck picking them out uh in july we just continue this rhyming theme with sci-fi july uh i'm especially excited for that one Oh, there's there's one episode I can't wait to watch. It's almost going to be as awesome as Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. It might be better than Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. We don't know yet. We're getting certainly, there. and there's there is an episode in there too that I think will uh, rival the the iconic nature of uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Back to the Future. That one might get into a screaming contest. That might happen. Fair enough. We we, we have yet to have a screaming contest on this show. And uh, maybe it's time. <laughs> uh, and um, this next month is actually David's month because David 
screenwriting guy. We go over it a lot. He loves his scripts. He loves writing, all that stuff. So we have August as Screenwriters Month. Yeah, we'll be going by each episode and choosing uh, movies done by famous screenwriters uh, and then kind of breaking them them down uh, to see what we enjoy about the writers and their most famous movies. Though uh, one in particular uh, famous writer, but kind of movies that people don't often peg him uh, for, you know? Yeah, there's also one here that is probably the most... A writer who is far more famous as a director, but it's these are actually the only two films he has never... Or two of his contests, he's never directed himself. Believe it or not, we just talked about the same thing with different words. Um, oh yeah, we did. Haha, I'm bad. At fooling this. everybody. Uh, September, we are you know school's in session again, and we're going to be doing back to school movies. Which I, I frankly I was skeptical about at first, but the more and more I think about it, I was like, wow, I can't believe we actually came up with eight movies that are about school that are actually probably going to be very enjoyable. Yeah, we have the comedies, we have the coming of age, and we have the classics here. Yeah. Like, September's going to be a pretty stacked month. I think so. And also October, horror month, obviously. Yeah, we return to it. Um, And with this, I think, an even... Whereas horror month this time around, we had some great movies. Probably not the most scary month we could come up with. I think this month is going to be absolutely terrifying. Oh yeah, we're, there's nothing but great, great horror here. Yeah, and then uh, November we're we're trying we're trying something. We, you know, we're gonna go all the way back to noir and 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 dig through some really great detective movies, some really great um, noir films. Uh, this this is the month I think I'm most excited for. Yep, and then December. It's finally gonna happen we're just gonna do plain old christmas movies yeah yeah we're just gonna do the, the whole month um we had some great there is christmas a picks. surprise episode though yes well you know i i actually with your permission dean i'd like to put the call out now because i think this is going to be uh, it takes a village for this episode the first week of december we're going to be doing a hallmark surprise episode in which I think the original idea for the episode was just to choose whatever Hallmark movies were coming out for Christmas that month or whatever and and put mm. them in and see let's see how badly we can torture ourselves but I I'm if if nothing else happens I'm challenging whatever viewer listens to this message uh and then a, almost a year from now I guess now that I think about it um at some point send us what you think is the worst Hallmark christmas movie and maybe we'll pick it for the show in all honesty if somebody out there is listening and actually messages us posts a comment on our youtube channel send a link we will absolutely watch it for one of our episodes 100 percent. gotta please the audience gotta please them gotta please the audience whoever the first two people are or yeah whoever the first person is that messages us you get it and then if we get a second one, that's the random pick. All right? We'll do that. Fair enough. But that that's going to be next year, everybody. 12 months, 12 themes, and a shit ton of movies. Yeah, a lot of movies. I'm, I'm 
I've already felt like I've watched more movies this this past few months than I than I would have, and this over this next year, I will watch so many more movies than I, some of these will be rewatches. Some of these I've never seen before. And I'm excited to expand my filmography, my my film vocabulary, my my knowledge of all these movies. And ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to an end here at the Double Feature Podcast. Yes. You already know where to find us in the frame on YouTube, Instagrams, double feature underscore podcast. You can find us Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere in between. David, anything else you want to say to the lovely listeners before we're signing off? Um, I guess just Happy New Year, everybody, and, and let's make 2021 a, a better year for us all because I'm while I'm glad I didn't hear one uh, I have 2020 vision joke in 2020, which I was dreading in 2019. Um, frankly, I, I think I would have suffered through that over what we suffered through this year. So uh, I'm excited to make 2021 a much, much better year for all of us. Same here. With that, everybody, peace. See ya.